those of you staying in here and headed over to the Gospel of Luke, why don't we do this just to help our minds wake up. It's been a beautiful, beautiful morning, just gorgeous morning. But uh, some still came in a little bit sleepy, so let me see if I can wake you up. Now, this survey is taken of little of kids. Okay, kids could be young teens and elementary age, so your answers. Name some things you like about the summer. From a kid's point of view, what would they like? No school, swimming, swimming pools there, vacation's going to be up there. What's that? They're bothering their parents. Is that what you liked about summer? Yeah, oh, Heather. Here you go. Vacation was one. Fishing was one. Playing outside was one. Eating ice cream. Swimming pool. No school was number one. Name things. Kids ask. Name things that go up. Okay. A balloon's going to be there. What's that? A plane's going to be there. What's that? Height. Height. Anything with heights is going to. Yeah. Cost. There's no flu. There's no food inflation. Kids don't have inflation in mind. You said kite. Kite. It's not up there. But it's a really good answer. Okay, even though I couldn't understand you. It's <laughs> uh, what do you have? Anything else? Okay, here's what they had. Stairs, escalators, ladders, rockets, planes, hot air balloons, and elevators. But kites should be up there. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you fly them down south? Uh, they flew them up north too. All right. Okay. 100 kids asked, what makes you laugh? Dad. Dad jokes are up there, okay? Clowns. 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 Most kids say, no, clowns and politicians don't, well, they maybe do go together after all. Okay, okay. Anything else that makes you laugh, kids? Bodily functions. Bodily functions. (laughs) It's not up there, but you're absolutely right. Okay. Playing games, tickles, pranks, clowns, jokes. And number one was bodily functions. Uh, Here we go. What what do you do when you're sick? Throw up is going to be up there. Okay. Cry is not up there. Go to sleep is going to be up there. Nap, sleep is there. Lay on the couch. Doing what? Watching TV. Oh, there you go. Here we go. Eating super popsicles, going to the doctor, throwing up, watching TV, sleep or nap, taking medicines. Name something with limbs that doesn't walk. Tree. Oh, that's it. We're done. <laughs> Aren't we creative? The kids had five answers. Come on, folk. Okay. Here's what they had. Tables. Legs. Yeah, legs. Okay. Trees. Chairs. Old people. Uh, yeah, then you ask the kids, what's old? 30. 30 is right. Okay. Babies. Okay. Here's one for you. Name something babies do. Cry. Sleep. From a kid's perspective. Okay. Spit up. <laughs> Bodily functions. Okay, there we go. Here's what they had. Nothing. <laughs> Smile. Suck on everything. Mess their diapers. Coo. And everyone was sleep. So babies are really cute. That's why this issue is so weird. Okay? That we even have to talk about it. But from what some of the studies that I did, uh, 
I'm glad I'm re- rehearsing this, just even for today, because of what's happening in our culture. And even several folk came afterwards last week and said, hey, I had conversations with Christians. And the changing in the Christian community on this view of, of about abortion is interesting. If you're uh, just joining with us, we're in a series of class that we just decided to do on uh, just a variety of different topics. Okay, based on First First Peter three, where he talks about being ready to give an answer always. In the context, he's talking about the believers facing opposition, facing criticism, facing suffering for their faith, and he's basically saying, as God inspired Peter, remain faithful, stick to the faith, don't let the persuasion or the problems of society change your point of view and, and uh, on what you're teaching. And he talks about fearing the Lord and trusting in the Lord in the context uh, that's surrounding that, verse 15. And he talks about that idea that we need to give an answer, an apologia, apologetics, give a defense of what we believe and why we believe it. But it also needs to have a consistent lifestyle. So we've covered a variety of topics because we live in a day and age that we're facing more and more criticisms. In fact, our point of view is going to be considered a negative point of view. We're going to be in the, we're going to very soon be in the hate group. We're going to be in the group that's going to be more and more, um, uh, even in our culture here, going to be more and more attacked for some of our belief systems. And so I wanted you to just be able to answer a variety of questions, some theological, some social, uh, that you'd have be better equipped to give an answer, but doing it with the spirit of meekness and not not arrogance, but giving a biblical answer on a lot of these different things or people questioning your Bible. And we covered some social issues just the last three weeks or four weeks that dealt with capital punishment and government and how to respond to government. We spent an extensive amount of time in the last few weeks on the issues of homosexuality, transgenderism. And I wasn't going to touch this topic. I thought, hey, this is just like a no-brainer. And yet then I started doing some reading and research a few weeks back, and I came, came across an article by Jess Ford in the Focus of the Family magazine, and he talked about how there's a shift in evangelical Christian community on this topic and what their viewpoints are. And he was basing it on a survey that Focus on the Family had done, and he said basically there's three groups of peoples within the Christian community. Evangelical, remember, is a very broad term. means those who believe you must be born again. And he said there's a group who basically want to remain silent. And they have a belief about abortion, but they don't want to get into any discussion. He said there's a group that he calls it misplaced compassion. Okay, what, what he meant by that was basically this, that compassion is switching to we're feeling for the mother and her circumstances, so let's be more concerned about the mother and her circumstances rather than the principle of abortion in the child. And it's a, he, he used the term, coined the term misplaced compassion and uh, showing compassion. And, and by the way, we should be compassionate. But the, the group you want to be in is, what does the Bible say about abortion? Period. What does the Bible say? Because Matthew 6.33, what does that say? Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Okay. And so we want to be able to say, okay, I want to be compassionate, but what does the Bible say? Because is there other opportunity in, in other ways? Can we, be, can we have misplaced compassion towards people and we're so compassionate, but we're not helping them. Does that ever happen? 
Okay, somebody comes up. We're on Wednesdays, uh, every other week when we're doing the Bible studies, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the passages in chapter 5, verse 42, talks about if anyone asks you, give to him. Okay, is that true every single time? That you would be compassionate if somebody asks you for something? That every single case, compassion dictates you must give whatever they're asking. You said yes, so give me your credit card. (laughs) Could there be a, could there be, now that's a general principle, we're supposed to be compassionate. Could there be damage if you gave to certain peoples? Okay, because you're enabling some people. So we have that principle. We're going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks in that class. But this whole idea is, okay, I have to go back to what the Bible says. And the reason he is basing these comments on the evangelical community is the survey that they did. And a survey that they took from CDC as well as other sources came up with some of these interesting facts. There's been over 600,000 abortions per year in America. Okay, at the current play, here's the exact number that was reported in the last couple of years. Okay, two years ago. And since 73, they're figuring 63 million people have been killed through abortions. Um, one in four women, just on average, okay, uh, will have an abortion by age 45. Stats show that nearly half of those who are having them are in their 20s, not teens, but in their 20s. The stats show, as well as we go a little bit further, that uh, adolescents make up just around 12%. Stats show that 6 out of 10 women who have the abortion already have children. That one just shocks me, of all the figures. Uh, 51% were using some type of contraception during the month that they became pregnant. It is estimated half of the patients were paying out of their pocket. Those who are having the abortion... Uh, half of them, roughly, together, uh, identify as some form of Christian, Christian individual. And then we start talking about other facts, okay? What countries in the world would you think are top per percentage of a 1,000 women? Which countries are having the most abortions per 1,000? The United States not in the top 10. China is not reported, okay? China doesn't participate, Okay? But they're up there. They would be up there. Okay. It's really interesting. Watch, watch through the countries and see if you notice any kind, of, any kind of consistent thought pattern that might be in those countries. Okay. China was, the, was you know, just thrown in without a report. What, what did you say? There's a communistic socialistic philosophy in, a, in the predominant number of countries that just seems to be a trend. Okay, are we surprised by that? No, not really, not really. Okay. So then other facts worth knowing that since 81 per year, there has been a decrease in the United States. What might that be? The number has gone down per year. Okay, there's contraceptions. Okay, there's more information, more awareness about that. Um, there's more social programs. Okay, for those who are in need, as well as, you know, health care is being provided, so it may be all that. Here's the stats that's really interesting, and this is per the USA Today, uh, because this is the argument that's always presented. What about rape? What about incest? 
And when you start looking at the statistics and say, okay, why are they happening? You can barely see the circles, but these are given, these pies are given to show you what, per, you know, what are the basic reasons people are saying. If there's multiple reasons, basically, um, it would change my life, or I can't afford, okay, I don't want to be a mother. Most all of these, the highest percentage are, this is a form of birth control. Okay, and it's interrupting a person's life. When you say, okay, victim of rape or incest, it's barely visible. Okay, which is an interesting, we, we advocate 63 million deaths for such a small number of realities. Um, and so then the question, this is the most recent survey that's been done by Pew Research, just done this year already. What do you think the percentages are? High, low? Okay, it's high in America. Those who think it should be, and and the key word here is in all circumstances. Okay, not limited. Okay, so you have 61% that say yes, 37% they say no. And then the question was about those who claim to be evangelical. What do you think? And so the chart is really interesting. Those, there's only one group that it's gone up yet, that it should be allowed in most or all cases amongst evangelicals. It's the 18 to 35-year-old age have increased in the number, and it's 38% of them that say thumbs up to abortion in all or most cases. That's almost 40% of the evangelical community. That's a tremendous amount. And then you can see even amongst those who are in my age bracket, the lax, still 16% of the retired age they're still in favor of it, okay, at this point. And so then, you know, th- this catches your attention. You go, oh, wow. And so, uh, you know, my concern is that 38% of the younger generation, where are you, what are you basing it upon? Is it because of the compassion for the circumstances, or is it upon Scripture? And we don't want to be non-compassionate, but what are we basing upon? Here's another interesting study. You can look at the different states. There are six of them that have, at this point, no restrictions as far as the time when an abortion can occur. There's no limitation. You can see that a majority of the red are basically, they have some type of uh, time period after that, no more abortion. But, um, but some of it is going to be thrown back, and that's why this whole issue right now, where did, if, it, if Roe Wade gets changed, what does it become? It doesn't, it, it doesn't say abortions will become illegal. It's going to go state by state. It's going to go back to the state. It's not being presented that way by the advocates. There are big things the last few weeks, and we're going to hear a lot of it this fall, is that whole idea is we're making, you know, if Roe Wade gets overturned, it's going to be, okay, there's, you know, this is making it illegal. That's not true. That's just not true. It's just going to go back to the states. Speaking of states, we mentioned that there's one state that had proposed a bill that it was allowing abortion post-birth. California, okay? I want to clarify this because is, what's that, Marilyn has? Well, I don't know. I know about California, and let's get our facts right because I alluded to this and then did even more research, is in April they changed the bill in California, the bill that is before their, their House of Reps. It had, this was the paragraph that got now taken out 
would notwithstanding any other law, a person shall not be subject to civil or criminal liability or penalty or otherwise deprived of their rights based on their actions or omissions with respect to pregnancy or actual potential alleged pregnancy outcome, including miscarriage, stillborn, stillbirth, abortion, or perinatal death. That term could allow for child death after birth. So because of, of the uproar that was, ta- uh, that was done, the advocates of the bill re-amended the bill and took this paragraph out. And so it's not in the bill that they're considering anymore. And there's, more, there's some restrictions as to when it can be. But the governor responded, and he said, I want to make California a sanctuary abortion state. That we want to make, if the Roe Wade gets overturned, I want to, and he said, let's make available state funds to bring people in from other states where there would be restrictions and they can come to California. So that's what's currently in California. Again, I don't know, Bob, if you have information, by all means, then uh, get it to me and we can share that. But uh, that's what's happening in California, and this is what's going to happen in the next months. There's going to be a tremendous amount of protests. It's going to become, um, you know, come as we approach the elections, you know that this is going to become the hot topic. That and gun rights after what happened in Uvalde. And so there's the issues that are going to be there. My question, my answer, my concern is what does the Bible say? Period. Okay? Because, you know, just that's it. We're, we're, our job is to say what, what does the Bible say? So I'm going to make comments and give you multiple verses and maybe there will be redundancy here. Maybe it won't make total sense as we go through, but hopefully when we're all together, all these little statements will come together and make some sense. So as I walk through it and just try to uh, examine in my mind what does Scripture say about the unborn, here's where several thoughts that came to mind. God was the one who made and still does make people. There are multiple passages talked about where God created man in his own image. The Spirit of the Lord hath made me, and he has given me the breath of life. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Know ye not that the Lord is God? It is he that made us, not we ourselves. And, oops, let me make sure you get time to write those down. So one, one thought, and this is important, as we just set up the stage of where we want to be and what does the Bible say, God is the author of life. My life, your life... Everyone's life, okay? So we make it a step further. He is personally involved in the designing and making of each person, okay? Even those that are still in the womb. We looked at the text at length here a couple weeks back, Psalm 139, where he talked in that passage, my substance was not hid from you when I was made in secret, curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes did see my substance, yet being incomplete. And in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance, or in that same idea, that design that you fashioned me, they were, they were put together. In other words, what we're saying is that God has a blueprint for you. And God, in his mind, has an idea of what your gifts, your talents, your personality, your uh, physical appearances, abilities, your tendencies. God has a plan. He knows you. And he designed you to follow that. In fact, Job talks about that, that you granted me life and your visitation hath preserved my spirit. You fenced me in. You created me. 
with the bones and the sinews and the idea of forming me. And Isaiah, the same thing. He said, Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, He formed you from the womb. I am the Lord that makes all things. And we go a little bit further. But now, O Lord, you're our Father. We are the clay. You're the potter. We are the work of your hand. We go into the book of Exodus where the Lord said, Who hath made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, the blind? Have not I the Lord? Where David talks, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother. He's not saying that the act of, of having male-female relationships was sinful. He's saying, though, when I first came into being, I did have a sin nature. So in sin I was, my mother conceived me, behold, you desired truth. Um, in the hidden part, you make me know to wisdom. God has a plan for the unborn. Okay, he has a plan even for the unborn. We have, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, Jeremiah. And he, the idea that he knew he was going to be a prophet prepared him for that ability. Where David says, in thy book all my members were written, which were in continuance. Last time we talked about Psalm 139, where he talks about my members were written. We said there's two possibilities. All the days of my existence could be what the author had in mind or all my personality, my abilities, or skills, or there's a third possibility. It's a combination of both. And so different scholars, different Hebrew uh, you know, people who are adept with that much more, they'll have discussion which one or both of them. What is it? Okay, the Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother, hath he made mention of my name. God knows you. God knew you. God had plans for you, even from your conception. That's what we're getting at. He considers an unborn, per, uh, unborn we can use the term fetus, we can use whatever, but what does God use? Go to Luke, Luke chapter 1. And uh, Luke chapter 1 is an interesting text. And what does he, what does he do in the text? What does he tell us? In Luke chapter 1, the setting of this scene is when God has already talked to Zacharias and told old Zacharias that his wife, what's her name? Elizabeth, that they're going to have a baby. After all these years that you've been praying, as an older couple, we're going to have a miraculous baby. And so he's told about that. Do you remember who the baby is? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Okay, so Elizabeth is several months pregnant, if we understand the sequence of time. And in the meantime, Mary has a visitation of the angel, and the angel tells her she's going to have a, a son, the Messiah, and he's going to be virgin birth. Okay? No male involved whatsoever. And so... Mary, for whatever reason, we don't know why, okay, could it be because, you know, she's pregnant, she's getting away from the community, her parents didn't understand. Remember, Joseph at first doesn't understand either. So for some reason, she goes to another area, region, and she visits her relatives, Mary, I'm, I'm Zachariah, and Elizabeth. Maybe she's going to help out Elizabeth. Maybe it has nothing to do with she left her hometown because of her pregnancy. It might be Elizabeth needs help. Because she's old, remember, she's over 30. Um, she's pregnant. She also has what else to contend with? A, a husband who... Okay, now he's got a handicapped situation. 
So maybe she came to help out. But whatever the reason, we read in the text and getting, those, getting the flavor of it, verse 39, Mary arose in those days, went into the hill country with haste into the city of Judah, entered into the house of Zechariah, and saluted Elizabeth. It came to pass that when Mary heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, and whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of your salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy, and blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of all these things. Anything stand out to you? In those, in those verses. Anything catch your attention? Okay, what'd you say? Okay, the baby heard. Not only does the baby hear, the baby has a cognitive ability here and a response. Anything else that strikes you? She called her the mother of the Lord. Okay. Uh, somebody else said, said it here. What's that? Okay, that there's a recognition. What does God call these kids? Baby. Baby. So let's just walk through and let's just make some observations, okay, with what you said. John's called a baby when still in the womb. He's called a human child. He's not called a growth. He's called what you call the same thing after birth. Okay, that's God's terminology in Scripture. It's a baby. God says it's the same thing before birth and after birth. Okay? Uh, John is considered an individual, uniquely different from his mother. While still in the womb, the baby leaps. Okay? And we're getting this highlight from the Spirit of God that there is an individuality here. John has, and again, I don't know to the extent of how this all works, but it's clear in this passage he had some emotional response even within the womb. He had some cognitive response even in the womb. Isn't that insightful? Yes, no, from a Bible point of view? Because what is often stated, it's whose choice? Because it's all, it's the woman. It's not a separate individual. And these babies don't think, don't feel. And yet, what does the Bible say? They do. They do. Okay, Jesus is recognized as a distinct individual. By the way, we don't know if this is within just weeks, within the first month of the pregnancy for Mary. The suggestion is she might be two, three weeks along in the pregnancy. And even at this point, Jesus is identified as a separate individual within the womb, the mother of my Lord. You know, when she, in this sense, so... This text is a powerful text to, to say these babies in the womb, they are people. They are people that have a distinct ability and response. And again, I don't know how much babies feel. I don't know how much they think. You know, are they like us on a Sunday morning during a long message? You know, that just kind of, you know, I don't know. And I know that they don't know everything. I'm not saying that. But, in, but it's, it's very interesting how God indicates there is abilities here. And we go a little bit further. In Luke chapter 2, this is when Mary and Joseph are headed to Bethlehem. Okay, because of the taxation. What, is, what do you read? You're close by. What does she, what does she have? 
Okay, verse seven. While they were they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth what? Her firstborn son. Okay, we understand that. But did you notice the phrase before that? Right, she was great with what? With a growth. Is that what the Bible says? She was great with a people, an individual, a people. So God makes it very, very clear that, you know, this is an individual. We know God values all life. As you just keep going through these common sense, you know, progression, God values all life. Because he said in the very beginning when he established government that if somebody takes a life, they forfeit their own life. Because man is made in the image of God. Okay, he, said, he values life. You're not going to murder we, t- we discuss what the killing means and the word that's used and in the context before. In Exodus 23, keep far from a false matter and the innocent and righteous slay not. So God has a defense that he puts up for innocent people, for helpless people that can't defend themselves. And he's advocating, hey, listen. We've got to advocate for some of those people. I'll explain a little bit more. But he clearly says that he puts up protection for the unborn. Look at the passage. Okay, If men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her and yet no mischief follow, he shall be punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him and he shall pay as the judges determine. Just to pause for a second. Initially, there are some who look at this verse and say, this verse says, hey... No problem. If the fruit depart, there is no punishment. So it really isn't against abortion. Because it says, so that her fruit depart from her. And yet no mischief follow. Is that what that verse is referring to? If we read the next verse, it becomes more clear what it's referring to. Okay? And if any mischief follow, then you shall give life for life eye for eye, tooth for tooth, et cetera, et cetera. What's he mean by this passage? The very first phrase where he says that the fruit depart from her and no mischief follow is, okay, if there is some type of confrontation, something physical, and she gives a premature delivery. But what happens? The baby survives. The baby survives. There's no harm to the baby. Okay, then whatever the husband determines for penalty payment, so be it. But if mischief follow, the baby's harmed or the baby dies. Life for life, okay, is what he's talking about in this text, okay? So he is clearly, clearly indicating you don't attack and kill a baby or do something that would cause the baby's life to be taken. If you do... Your life is forfeited. Okay, that's consistent with God's teachings when he has that Old Testament law. In fact, here is something that for you and I, where are we supposed to be? Okay, some of us who are, you know, at this point, we're not, we're not, having babies isn't our issue anymore. Okay, but what is this issue on abortion? We are called by God to defend the weak and the helpless. Remember what we talked about here just a couple weeks ago on Mother's Day? When Bathsheba is talking to her son Solomon, he says, as king, you need to do certain things. Open your mouth for the 
King James reads dumb, but I put in mute. In the cause of all such as are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, plead for the poor and the needy. The king was supposed to protect the defenseless. That's what mom is pleading with her son. How blessed is he who considers the helpless. The Lord will deliver him in a day of trouble. Defend the poor, the fatherless. Do justice justice to the afflicted, the needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. There are multiple ideas and passages that advocate for this idea that we're supposed to be protectors of the individuals who can't protect themselves. Curses is he that perverts the judgment against the stranger, the fatherless, the widow. And the people are supposed to say amen. Take heed that you despise not the little ones. That, because he goes on, their angels in heaven behold the face. Whosoever receives one such child in my name, and he's got that child that he brings out of the group of the crowd, he says, receives me and receives not me, but he, as well the him that sends me. God has a special place for kids in this regard, or for the defenseless, even the widows as well, the fatherless, the orphans. And we're supposed to have that same heartbeat that we're supposed to be caring for those who cannot defend themselves. That's why, like, from our perspective, and you can see it in general, but Uvalde is just a horrible, horrible thing. Why? Because the children involved. That just heightens the case so much more. And so it's supposed to be that way. But here we get into the discussions. What about rape and incest? What did God say? What did God establish when he had a national law for the Jews to follow, that gives us insight. Because we know that rape and incest isn't mentioned in the New Testament. He just mentions the governments are supposed to be protecting the individuals, protecting the innocent. But he doesn't define how they were supposed to, what laws they were to implement. But in Exodus and Leviticus, he did implement laws in his nation. And that reveals what were the laws that he would have advocated for at that time. What about in cases of rape and incest? Even though it's not mentioned in the New Testament, we get an insight into what God's thinking is. And God's thinking is very clear. Every time you come across rape and incest, it is in, put in a bad frame of mind. God is not pro. And I'm tired of people accusing us if we say we're not for abortion, then you're for rape and incest. That is horrid. Those things don't even come close to each other. Oh, it's just... It's just perverted accusations. So God very clearly presents this. In fact, let me show you something from the Old Testament. If somebody was proven to be a rapist, and there was a way that there was some here, there was some conversation, if you read through the entire chapter, because somebody might make accusation, and it may not be true. So God put in some qualifications and how this was going to be proven out. But he said, if somebody was proven guilty of rape, capital punishment. God is not for rape. Okay, So that was very clear. In fact, in the law, if there was, you know, and rape, rape would have been even incest. But what about if there was consensual incest? Even that case, God was against incest the couple was to be expelled out of the community of the Jews. So God is totally against them. And as a result, where are we? We're against this stuff. We're against that vile. It's just vile. It's wicked. Okay? And so in the cases, though, of rape and incest, okay, what about the child? Think this through. 
Fathers are not killed for the sins of their children, nor are children killed for the sins of their father. Why is the baby punished for a crime by the father? From God's perspective, that's not supposed to happen. The father's supposed to be punished. Here's a thought for you. What about those cases where the baby is handicapped? And, and there is a concern here. Do you remember, it's, it's better today, but do you remember years ago, they could do different tests and they would say, oh, your child is going to be born with... And some of those tests were false positives. A number of them were. Okay? But it developed a mindset. It helped to advocate a mindset that said, if there was a handicap, potential handicap, let's do what? Let's get rid of the baby, and let's because that's going to be very difficult. Is there any question it would be difficult? None of us question that. However, from a biblical point of view, we're have, we're, what do you know about handicapped? What does the Bible say about this? What's that? I'm sorry. All life is valuable, even somebody who can't have the same quality of life as you? I'm sorry. David took care of Mephibosheth. He didn't wipe him out. The God's designing. Let's take some of these thoughts. Does God allow for a design of handicapped situations? Yes, he does. Okay. Do you know any passage where people said, hey, this is because of sin. And God rebukes them and says, no, it's not. Anybody know what I'm talking about? John chapter 9, Jesus entering the temple. Who's the guy? The blind man from, from birth. And the disciples assumed he, is, he sinned or his parents sinned. And Jesus says this is not because of sin. All of this is for the glory of God. Can God be glorified through a handicapped situation? Yeah, when God is talking to Moses, God makes this very clear. Who makes the mouth? Who, if he says, who makes somebody mute, what's he implying? Does God at times allow for this? Yes, no. If we, if we follow our principles, does God design and make all people? He did. So does he even allow some people to have physical handicaps? He does, okay? The deaf, the blind are seeing. Okay, this is me, and, I, and, and I'm using my illustration probably way too much, but I think that if I lived in an ancient culture with the way I couldn't see years ago, I would have been considered somewhat handicapped or retarded or because years ago I couldn't see her with my natural eyesight. How do you function in society? back then, besides walk off a cliff. And so you think of peoples in that situation that, you know, there was those cases. Did God make a mistake in giving me limited eyesight? No. I don't think God made a mistake giving me limited hair. Okay? I think I have an advantage over you. I used less shampoo. It dries quickly. I combed it. That was it. Okay? <laughs> God doesn't make mistakes in this regard. This is the story that you mentioned, John 9, okay? And how are we to respond if there is a handicapped situation within our family? This is, this is easy for me to say. I didn't run and go through it. I'm not saying it's easy for anybody. 
But how are we biblically to respond? Resist what God has designed? Wipe out what God has designed? Are we supposed to run from trials? No. No. He says, Woe unto him that strives with the Maker. Shall the clay say to him that fashions it, What are you doing? What are you doing? You are the potter. We are the clay. Okay? So the mindset is very, very important. God forbids this. God forbids, clearly, if you walk walk through and just do your own study, God forbids that you and I, we harm people with handicaps. Just some of the different passages. Cursed is anyone that leads a blind person astray. The idea, cursed is anyone who denies justice to those who are not just handicapped, but those who are defenseless, okay? In this case, the orphans and the widows. He says, do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but you better fear the Lord. He makes this comment. This is from Jesus in the parable in Luke chapter 14, where the Pharisees, who did they invite to the meal? What was the typical Pharisee inviting to a meal in their house? Other Pharisees, their friends, their relatives, people who could pay them back. Jesus says, when you have an opportunity to be hospitable, who should you invite? He's talking to the Pharisees as well as his disciples. He says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. What about those people? They can't pay you back. They can't pay you back. Okay, you don't get any brownie points for these in the social standing. But he made it very clear that we're supposed to be that type of an individual. How are we to view children? Okay, not when, you know, not when they've got you up a wall, okay? okay. Uh, this is easier to view them when they're sleeping and they look angelic. Okay. But what is supposed to be our attitude towards kids? A burden or a blessing? How do you know that? Okay, do you got, do you got a verse? A verse? God, what does the Bible say? Okay, here we go. Children are a what? An inheritance of the... Oh, Elrod. Sorry about that, Lord. Okay, my spelling's wrong. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows in the hand of the mighty sword, children of the youth. We're supposed to be glad about the kids. Okay? Does that mean we're going to be that happy, joyful, woohoo, every day, 24-7? No. Okay? Are we going to have our moments that we want to put them back where they came from. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But generally, our attitude is supposed to be, thank you, Jesus. Okay, thank you for the kids. God stated, this is an interesting verse. God stated it's almost the norm. It's almost natural that the woman is going to do what towards the baby? Take care of the baby. Have just an innate, innate desire to cherish the baby. He uses it in an interesting uh, way. He says, can a, can a woman forget the nursing child that she doesn't have compassion on the child of her womb? We would answer that. And by the way, the Hebrew gives the, is it a negative or positive? Can a, it, it's a negative answer. Does the woman forget about the baby? Okay, okay, okay. Are there moments we forget about our kids? Yep. We leave them at church. Leave them at home and walk away in a crib 
and I come running up to you to just say, hey, how you doing? And you look at me and say, where's the baby? <laughs> Three blocks back that way, all by itself. Yeah, yeah, okay. So he's asking, can a woman forget the child? The normal response is, no, no. And then he goes on and he says, I have that love. Even though she might possibly forget, I won't forget you. It's an interesting passage if you look it up and read the whole thing. Of, uh, but he's giving just some his, his impressions of people. He says that, that fact that moms aren't that way. Here's a, here's a question that's very, very important. Does God forgive somebody who's had an abortion? Really? How do you know that? It's never mentioned in the New Testament. Abortion's not mentioned. Okay, because how many sins can be forgiven? All sins. What's the unforgivable sin? The, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, rejection of Christ. Okay? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. All is key word. Okay? Even I, I, even I, says, am He that blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And then He repeats this in Hebrews. Your sins and your iniquities will I remember no more. Aren't you glad? Oh, man, man. Remember this, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from, okay, all sins, okay. Um, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And who's writing this? The Apostle Paul. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. Why would he say that? Because he what? He killed people. Do you remember him killing any people in particular? The believers. The believers. And he, even afterwards he says, hey, I'm the chiefest of sinners. And yet by Jewish rules and regulations, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, zealous. But he says, hey, I blew it. I blew it big time. And he was a murderer. By our point of view, from a Christian point of view, he murdered Christians. He persecuted them. And yet God forgave him. Can God forgive the person, the couple, that said we would abort a child? The answer is yes. Yes. Should abortion be done? No. No. Not from God's perspective. Yeah, but what if it complicates if we go through the pregnancy and it complicates our lives? It's not the baby's fault. It's not the baby's fault. And... Even if there's complications, and even if there's an unplanned... By the way, don't you want to, as an adult, keep on being told, we didn't want you? You were never in our plans. You were a mistake. Got to be careful what we tell young people. Anyway, even if there's an unplanned pregnancy, will God provide? Yes, absolutely. So we, we ought not to respond. And so there's another topic I just wanted to touch on, and I have just a couple minutes, that isn't with abortion, but it's another issue. And it's come up just recently because of one of our missionaries. And, um, and I don't have the answers, but I just want to leave this food for thought. It is, what is God's will when it comes to being in a life-and-death situation? Do you know where, where I'm, what triggers this thought? Bruce Tuttle, staying where? In the Ukraine. Did some missionaries leave? Did some stay? Who's right? 
Okay, okay. And so there's been some discussion. Some people have come and said, don't you think, you know, it really doesn't make any difference what I think. Just let me just, for just two minutes, just run and just bring this up. Should a believer flee in the face of physical harm or just take it without any legal defense? Okay? And by the way, I think we're going to be down this road. I think we're going to be down this road in the future. What do we do if there is legal challenges to us as a body for preaching and things? Do we just take it? Turn the other cheek? What do we do? What do we do? And so, just food for thought. An angel delivers Peter from a prison, and he left to go to another place. He was going to be killed that morning, remember? And the angel comes at the last hour, gets him out, and what does he do? He flees the city. He gets away from where his life could be in jeopardy. Paul, when he was going to be killed by the Jews who were against his preaching, he escapes over the city. Anybody remember how he gets out of there? Over a basket over the wall. Okay, and he got out of there. Okay, and yet Paul and his companions left cities where there was persecution. Um, They left those towns when there was opposition. Do we ever have any other time he stayed and faced the persecution? Lystra he did. In fact, we, I think it's him. Well, it is him. Do you remember they dragged him out of the city? Stoned. I'm not talking drugs. We're talking physical stones. Paul didn't vacate at that moment, but he vacated at other moments. Do you remember another time he ends up in jail? Philippians, a Philippian jailer. What happens to the, the jail during the middle of the night? The earthquake, the doors open. Paul stays, okay? And the jailer comes in, the jailer gets saved. What do they do after that? Anybody remember what happens? They, they take Paul to, the jailer takes Paul to his house, washes his wounds, and Paul escapes the city. No, he doesn't. Do you remember what he does? He goes back to the jail. It's like, you did what? He went back to the jail, and they find out he's a Roman citizen. And what do the, the leaders of the, the community want? Yeah, Paul, get out of here. Paul, we want you to leave. What does Paul refuse to do? He refuses to leave until what? They escort him out of the city. The officials have to be shown with him. Why does he do all that? Why does all that take place? And we have all this information you can look. Paul claims his right as a Roman citizen to protect himself at times. At other times, he doesn't use it. Sometimes he uses it. So what does that tell you? We're being led in the circumstances by the Spirit of God that you say, okay, there's no clear example or evidence okay, that, that, that's given in Scripture of what we do at certain times. Okay? Did Jesus get involved with legal situations at times? Yes, he did. Other times, no. Okay, and when he's defending, it seems that it must be left to the individual's confidence in what he believes. Okay? And so, when some have come and asked me, and and I'm just using Bruce as an illustration, what do I think Bruce should have done? He should have done what the Spirit led him to do. Period. Period. Each situation, what do we do in the future? We will have to wait until the future comes and determine what's best at that time. 
And so there is that idea of let's, let's rely upon the leading of the Spirit. And sometimes we have these principles that there's tension between them. We're not real clear, but we pray and trust that God gives us wisdom at the time.